I'm Gemma. It's time for Cannonballs, except for not really. It is the holidays, so we did not record a new episode for you this week. However, we did make our top five books of the year list. These are not classics. They're just novels or nonfiction that we happened to read. And we're going to tell you our top five. Uh, we'll go in ascending order, and it'll be really fun. Ben, are you ready? I'm, I'm always ready to talk about books with you, Gemma. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I, that's not my New Year's resolution, just that we just talk about books for the rest of the, for 2018. Yes, sounds good. All right, what's your number five? Uh, so my number five is a book I had never heard before until 30 seconds before I bought it from a bookstore. Uh, and it is called I Hate the Internet, which was, you know, the title. I agree with the title, so that's why it caught me. Uh, and it is by a, a writer named Jarrett Kobeck, who I believe this was one of one of his first books, if not his first book published. He just had another book uh, published this year. Um but I Hate the Internet is basically the story of the, it has a loose plot. And the loose plot is that a woman, you know, says something controversial online and then is basically um, the subject of an online troll, you know, trolly witch hunt. Uh, people Twitter on Twitter sort of attack her and everything. Uh, but interspersed throughout this, uh, this loose plot is just a lot of commentary on why the internet is really bad and gentrification, the gentrification of uh, San Francisco and it is it is the most direct sort of novel I've read, and it's it's almost not even a novel because there's um, there's like no subtext at all. Uh, but I found it very interesting, and it was uh, you know it didn't all work for me, but it was very riveting in parts. And if you just want to be really angry about the internet for a while, it is a uh, it's a cathartic read, I think. Well, that sounds great. Oh, just to mention, which I should have said at the beginning, these are not necessarily books that were published over the past year, just books that we happened to find. Right. Um, books we read. Ben, books we read this year. Yeah, that Ben magically happened to stumble across this interesting novel, which I have put on my list as well. Um, for me, number five is a book that I read at the very beginning of 2017, as actually published the year before, called Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeline Thien. Uh, it is a multi-generational saga about a Chinese family that in part emigrates to Canada. And it's really long, it's really meaty, and it's also about music because this particular family has always been storytellers and musicians, and it takes us through their early lives, through the Cultural Revolution uh, to present day. And it is it has this very strange mystical storyline about a book that the family passes around, but nobody ever has all the volumes of the book at once. And it's a story about two people trying to find each other in the Gobi Desert. Um, it's very poetic and beautiful, and a lot of it is about loss and looking for what you think you see in people, but maybe you just imagined was there. Uh, and it's, it also tries to get at what cannot be said with words and only with music. And I think it's a really beautiful novel and I was happy to have read it. That's my number five. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you, did you talk about that book on our very first introductory podcast? Or am I wrong? I might have. I also am going to mention a couple of other books, maybe one other book that I talked about in our intro podcast, because I had a good year in reading. Okay. Uh, what's your number four, man? Uh, my number four is uh, probably one of the most popular books ever this year. It is the nonfiction book Evicted uh, by Matthew Desmond, I believe. Um, and it is just an ethnography of um, really just housing uh, in an eviction in Milwaukee. Uh, he embeds with the, uh, a bunch of different people who are on the on the cusp of being evicted and going from eviction to eviction, and uh, it just follow it sort of you know um, meticulous, meticulously depicts housing instability and just how 
um, draining and how just like how difficult it really is to be poor in America. And it is just brilliant and really great. And at the end, um, you know, he's very, he's very not present in the entire book, even though, you know, he's there. And there are a couple moments where like, how did, you know, how did you even, how did this guy react to this situation where a woman is literally crying on her doorstep because she's been evicted and can't get into their house anymore? You know, and you, you, you think about for a moment, like the guy is there, but what happens? Um, and at the end, he sort of, he has a chapter on how I wrote this book and it's really great. It's really eye opening. Um, it was just, you know, all, I believe it won. The Pulitzer, it, it won a bunch of stuff. It, it, it deserves every award it got. It was great. Um, one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read. Ben has recommended this to me multiple times, and I will read it this coming year. Uh, all of mine are novels, because that is primarily what I read this year, or history, which I think is its own completely different thing. Um, my fourth book is Home Fire by Camilla Shamsi, which was also nominated for a few awards. It's a retelling of Antigone, but... Oh, really- Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a retelling of Antigone in relation to the radicalization of young men who join ISIS. And uh, it's such a compassionately written book that is also such a joy to read because she's an incredible writer. She just writes these these carefully constructed sentences that can get at a moment so quickly. Like in the very first section of the book, we meet one of the sisters um, and she meets this young man. Uh, Amen, and she describes getting to meet him in in such a perfect way that it it jives. Like every time you have a crush on someone, it's like she just narrowed it down with it to, within one sentence. Like the story between in that relationship is told, and it gives her so much room to expand the story really beautifully. Um, there are no villains in this story, which is not necessarily the case in Antigone. Sometimes people are just good or bad, but um, everyone involved in this particular tale has so many dimensions, and I think it's really important to repurpose this kind of Greek tragedy to make sense to us in a contemporary time and, and bring some light to this issue. So I loved it. Yeah, that I remember reading about this book and really wanting to read it because I like Antigone. I read Antigone a long time ago. And uh, yeah. Well, check it out. Uh, what's your number three? My number three is, I'll go back to fiction, and it is um, Department of Speculation by Jenny Offel. Ophel? Offel? O-F-F-I-L. I I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce any author's name, really. But uh, Department of Speculation is really good, really short. I read it in a day or two. It's like 180 pages, but it's it's written basically... I know every every novel is written a sentence at a time, but this one really is where every paragraph is basically a sentence and uh, very pithy sentences at that. But it is... And in... In the hands of a worse writer, it would get really tiresome, I think. But every line is just really good. Uh, she's, you know, the best, the wonderfully crafted jokes, I think, in this in this novel. And we've talked about this where there's definitely a subgenre of contemporary fiction where it's um, like a uh, woman or man or character goes through relationship breakup and it sort of teaches them about the world and like finding themselves and like, um, you know, being okay with the, the disappointments of life. But I think this is the best I've read of that subgenre. It's really great. Uh, there's a particularly horrifying section on bedbugs, uh, which is a nightmare for any person living in anywhere. Um, yeah, really funny, really quick read, just a joy to read. I, I read it coming off of a couple downer books, and it was just, it was a nice, it was a nice uh, palate cleanse. I remember reading Department of Speculation a- closer to when it came out. 
uh, definitely in that vein of books, which is like everyone really liked Renata Adler's Speedboat because it's transformative and incredible. And everyone sort of is trying to capture that energy. It's sort of pithy sentences, like journey through someone's psyche thing. Um, I liked Department of Speculation, but I don't think I was as enamored with it as you were. Yeah, I... I was I was not expecting to. I it was it was a book I had had for a while. I you know I kept pushing it off, and then eventually I just wanted something short to read, and it was exactly what I wanted. I don't know. It was uh, yeah. I, I find a lot of times my reaction to books depends on when I read them, uh, particularly if they're coming off a long book that was kind of a slog to get through, and all of a sudden I just um, plow through a book. It really colors my. Uh, my impression of it, that may be the case here, but I, I remember really liking it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true for everyone. The, the place in your life that you are when you read a book changes the way you feel about it. We discussed that with Little Women, which is the, a book that I loved so much as a child. And now, like, I hate the entire second half of the book. It's <laughs> and also, Lori is such a fuckboy. But anyway, my number three is a book I talked about as well in our introductory podcast. So I will not talk about it too much in depth, but that's H-H-H-H by Laurent Binet. Um, I also read his second novel that he wrote this year, the se- not second, uh, yeah, his second novel, The Seventh Function of Language this year, read both of them the same year. I did not like his second novel very much. And that just made me love his first one even more because of the rarity of it, apparently. Uh, but it is about how history is an emotional story we tell ourselves. And none of it is really true except for the dates and times. But does that matter? And I find that a very fascinating question. And it's also told with a lot of compassion and genuineness, which I do not believe that his second novel really had. Uh, so that's my number three. Ben, what's your number two? Well, speaking of uh, history, my my number two is a, another nonfiction history book. It is Voices from Chernobyl, The Oral History of a Nuclear Disaster by uh, Nobel Prize winner Svetlana Alexievich. Uh, just a truly existentially devastating read. It is, you know, uh, Alexievich is known for oral histories uh, of particularly like Eastern Europe, uh, former Soviet Union um, countries, and Voices from Chernobyl is probably her most famous, I would say. And it just, it's an, it, it is what the subtitle says. It's an oral history of Chernobyl, the meltdown of the nuclear reactor. She talks to people who lived in Chernobyl. She talked to people who worked at the plant. She talked to first responders. She talked to Russian government officials um, or Soviet officials. And it is, you know, the first chapter is opens with the wife of one of the first responders describing watching her husband's skin melt off his face. And it is just, it was harrowing. I couldn't, I, it's astonishing that this, that it exists, I think. When Ben was reading this, he texted myself and a uh, previous podcast guest, Michael Clare, some quotes from it, and it was very, very horrifying and, and grounding at the same time. So if you can read it, if you can get through it, you should probably read it. Yeah, it really it really reinforces what people are capable of doing to each other when in inside systems, I think. It, it, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's harrowing. Interesting. What, what, what's uh, my, your number two? My number two is Exit West by Mohsen Hamid, which is a lot of pe- on a lot of people's top book lists, and I think reasonably so. Uh, it's stunning. It's a beautiful piece of fiction. Um, it is sort of a fairy tale, or maybe it's like a little bit fantasy. It has a magical element about the refugee crisis. It posits that there are doors in this world, and to step through them is to be transported to a different part of the world, and that's how easy it is 
to disappear from where you are and what happens when so many people need those doors in this world and what happens to the people who don't want those people there. It's also a love story. It's about how a relationship uh, begins and dissolves in that time. And uh, it's, I think, a really fascinating way to look at this thing that is really happening in the real world, but to do it with this veneer of magic to it, which makes it perhaps a little bit more possible to keep reading as opposed to just like the unmitigated horror that exists in the world. Um, it is still includes its fair share of horror, but it also includes uh, a great amount of determination to be better and to survive. Um, and I think it's, I think it's just a lovely piece of fiction. That yeah, Exit West has been on my list since basically it came out. I'm a really, I'm a, I remember reading Moth Smoke, which I think was the author's first novel, maybe. But I, re, I, I remember reading it and enjoying it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to move it up my list, I guess. You definitely should. Uh, but speaking of moving up the list, what is your number one book that you read this year? Okay, so my number one, I'm, I, I'm, I am kind of astonished at how much you know nonfiction I uh, I read this year. I made it a point to read more nonfiction and. I ended up liking more nonfiction books than fiction books this year, which is weird. But my number one is another nonfiction book, although it's a little weird. It is The Silent Woman by Janet Malcolm, which is ostensibly, when I picked it up, I thought it was a biography of Sylvia Plath. But it is not really. I mean, it's one third, one third of it is a biography of Sylvia Plath. One third of it is a review of other biographies of Sylvia Plath. Because it goes in a lot into a lot about how you know half biographies of Plath take Plath's side, half of them take Ted Hughes' side. What are the differences? It goes into a lot about um, the management of Plath's estate. Um, but then one third of it is also just a um, a meditation on the nature of biography itself and how it's never it's basically an impossible genre to do because you can never understand or know what another like an, another person's experience or like know the truth and how it's the fact that biography is posited as nonfiction is kind of a myth, which I thought was really fascinating. And also, Jenna Malcolm is just a brilliant writer. She crafts some of the best sentences I've read ever, let alone this year. Um, and I actually, I want to read one passage from this book that has stuck with me uh, since I read it. It is, you know, it is colored how I think about writing all the time now. And it it, it starts, so she's talking about Sylvia Plath, uh, her journals, Plath's journals, which were published by Hughes, uh, posthumously, I don't even, I don't know how long after Plath's death, but you can buy the unabridged version of Plath's journals. Um, and I did, and I've been reading them slowly over the course of, uh, I don't know, a couple of years now. I just read one or two before bed because she's really fascinating. And Plath's journals are, you know, um, basically, and then Malcolm makes this point that they're basically Plath's second novel that was never published after the bell jar because, uh, she writes herself as a, as a character essentially in her own journals. And this is the pair. This is a section I want to read of the silent woman. And it's, it, it, she, she writes Plath's relentlessly humorless version of herself as the heroine of a great drama gives her journal, a verve and a luster that journals of more restrained self-deprecating classical, as opposed to romantic writers lack. We all invent ourselves, but some of us are more persuaded than others by the fiction that we are interesting. Probably because Plath felt the chill of the void with such unnerving intensity did she need to put so many layers of heated self-absorption between herself and what lay outside. And that I that just, I don't know, that is seared into my brain, that line, or that section. I mean, just 
for that line alone, I think it's probably worth reading this. Yeah, it, and it's it's short. It's only 200 pages. Uh, really good, really interesting. Um, I believe it, you know, and even started as just a long essay in the New Yorker about Plath's biogra- uh, biographies of Plath. Um, but it's really good. I really recommend it. I mean, I think that we both were attracted to something this year. Like HHHH for me is also about the fact that you can't ever really know how someone else felt. Um, And he is writing a historical portrayal of a specific incident that happened during World War II, but he's just decided that his version of it is fiction. But it is all historically accurate. It's just because he says, like, I can't know, so I guess this is a novel. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's really interesting how the the divisions uh, or the delineations of genre work. I also think this is probably a longer discussion for another time, but that uh, contemporary fiction, at least, is moving completely into a genre melding direction. Like there, I think very soon there will be no more genre distinctions like science fiction versus fantasy versus contemporary lit. Like I think a lot of that is just going to marry each other and be all mixed in. Like Exit West, which has a pretty strong. Um, fanciful aspect as does my number one book of the year which is a collection of short stories called her body and other parties by carmen maria machado um she also was considered to be a sci-fi writer for a long time um because of the way that she writes which sometimes does have this consideration that might might be sci-fi uh but it's a collection of short stories and it's basically about the existential and physical horror of being a woman who lives in this world uh, her women do not necessarily live in our world, but it's very close. And the distinctions tend to be more like, oh, well, in one world, every single woman has a ribbon. It's wrapped around one of her body parts. It can never be removed. And don't ask why. Uh, perhaps recalling the famous urban legend of the woman with the black ribbon around her neck. Um, there's another story where there's a global disease where women are literally fading out of existence, but they remain as ghosts that can invade the electrical wires and hack voting machines. Fascinating. Um, there's also a novella right in the middle that is about law and order SVU. <laughs> like literally the show. Uh, yeah. Like literally the show. It is about Stabler and Benson and, their relationship and what it would actually do, like actually do to someone's psyche if they encountered that level of violence for the number of seasons that Law & Order SVU has been on. Like season after season, like what, 24 episodes in a season, some horrendous crime, 24 horrendous crimes per season. And like, if that's what a real person really dealt with, um, there is a magical element to that story as well. They also are faced with their own doppelgangers named Abler and Henson, who are way better at their jobs than they are. <laughs> wow, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's really amazing. It was nominated for the National Book Award. Um, I don't, it did not win, uh, but it was it was really really good and I, just a collection of short stories worth reading, even if you don't think of yourself as a short story person, because a lot of people don't. Um, put that prejudice away and read this book. I'm going to put it on hold of the library after we finish recording this podcast. You can borrow my copy if you want. I bought it because the library at the time only had one copy and the wait for it was so long. I was like, I'm not doing that. Uh, The New York Public Library anyway. Don't know about Brooklyn. Uh, But those were our top five books of the year. Um, And now we're just going to give you a few of our honorable mentions because I personally felt like I read a lot of novels this year that I really enjoyed, but they did not quite make my top five. 
Um, ben, do you have any honorable mentions? I, I do. I have. Uh, I want to shout out the story of the lost child. Uh, the last of uh, Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels. I finished the series. It was the first book I read this year. I finished the series. Uh, it's not my favorite of the series, but it's a pretty good ending. Um, I want to I shout out you for recommending Homegoing to me. I really liked it. Uh, Bleeding Edge by Thomas Pynchon I read. Pynchon is an author I should like more, but I liked Bleeding Edge a lot. It's also another book about the horrors of the internet. And uh, honestly, I reread A Complicated Kindness this year, and please just Everybody read Miriam Taves, A Complicated Kindness. Uh, it's great. Um, Miriam Taves is just the best. I've read so many books I liked this year. I'm going to shout some out. Um, some of them were published last year and had a lot more buzz last year, which is kind of why they weren't on my list, because they got nudged out by some of the big buzz books of this year. Uh, but like The Sellout, I read this year and I really, really loved, and Underground Railroad. Um, the Wangs versus the World, which is really funny. I feel like it's hard to write genuinely funny novels, and The Wangs versus the World is really good. Um, News of the World, which if you like westerns but also lit fic, is good. Um, Goodbye Vitamin, which was in the genre of uh, like pithy one sentence novels about people discovering themselves after relationships. Um, Sing Unburied Sing, which was really, 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 really good, and is like number six on my list. Um, you know, it won all the awards, so I'm not going to go too deep into it um the end of days by jenny erpenbeck which came out around the same time as kate atkinson's very similar life after life so i think it kind of got lost because life after life was so astonishing but so is the end of days um eileen which you ben recommended to me and which i really really enjoyed and recommend to a lot of people as well and uh the border of paradise by esme Wajin wang which is also on my top 10 list, but not in the top five. And it's a very, very, very dark and disturbing story um, about belonging and fear. And um, if you can handle a lot of dark things, then perhaps you should read it. But I will warn you, it does kind of feel like getting surgery without anesthesia. Oh, wow. Uh, quite, my, quite a review. Uh, the, 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 those are my honorable mentions. I just, I just love talking about books. So if you want book recommendations or you want to tell me what you really like, you can tell either one of us. Uh, you can tweet at us at CannonballsPod on Twitter. You can tweet at me personally, at Gemma. Ben does not have a Twitter um, because, as you know, he hates the internet. Uh, because I hate the internet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we want to know what you read. We want to talk about it. And we can't wait to read more books with you in 2018. Our first book in 2018 will be Lolita because um, it's probably probably a timely novel now. And we're all just going to be horrified and disgusted together. Yeah, too timely. Uh, yeah, I'm, I've never read a Nabokov. I'm excited. Oh, such a good writer. In in she in Department of Speculation, Jenny Offal describes him as an art monster, and uh, the way he treated his wife is sort of his unpaid servant who would take care of all the necessities of life so that he could just live in this ethereal art realm forever. Um, and he seems like a real dick, except for his writing is really, really good. So we're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> I look forward to it. Well, we'll see you in 2018. Ben, happy holidays. Ha- have a happy new year, Gemma. Happy New Year to you, Cannonballs listeners, and we'll see you on the other side.